Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. As we age, how do we enhance our quality of life, optimize opportunities for health, participation, and security? Active aging, growing into your age. Tonight, on call with the Prairie Duck. Health information based on science, built on trust. Hello and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Doc. I'm Dr. Andrew Ellsworth, tonight's Prairie Doc host. Thank you for joining us as we enter our 21st season providing health information based on science, built on trust. Continuing that tradition is our goal for tonight's discussion. Tonight's topic is active aging, aiming to extend healthy life expectancy and quality of life for all people as they grow older. Joining us tonight on the campus of South Dakota State University and through Zoom are Dr. Victoria Walker, Corporate Medical Director in Long-Term Care at Avell eCare, and Dr. Joseph Reese from Avera Medical Group. Welcome, Dr. Walker and Dr. Reese. Thank you. Uh, if you don't mind, Dr. Reese, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sounds good, thank you. So I started out my career as a hospitalist approximately 11 years ago at Avera McKinnon. I did that for about six years when I went back and did a fellowship in geriatrics, doing geriatric medicine part-time and hospital medicine quote-unquote full-time, one week on of that and one week on of the geriatric fellowship, which took a long time for two years. My wife was, told me that was it <laughs> after I finished that. Um, and then after that, I uh, now practice full-time as a geriatrician, so I do clinics in the mornings and then uh, in the afternoons I do nursing home and assisted living and still work with Avell just a little bit uh, helping out uh, in the geriatric uh, nursing home population. And so with, a, oh, I guess I could go to Dr. Walker to explain more Avell. So you also yeah. work with Avell some. Yeah, just a little bit. Are you in the hospitals at all then? Or? I don't do too much in the hospitals right now currently. Um, when we have fellows, sometimes I'll go into the hospital and help out in the hospital during that time. But right now we don't do geriatric consults in the hospital. Okay. So a true outpatient geriatrician what we need a lot more of. Correct. Very good, very good. I work with two nurse practitioners, or three nurse practitioners. Two do strictly nursing home care, and one does the opposite schedule of me. So when I'm in the clinic, he's at the nursing homes, and when I'm in the uh, clinic, in nursing homes, he's at the clinic. So I do have another nurse practitioner that takes the opposite schedule of me, so we work together. How many nursing homes do you help cover? Uh, we have about 20 buildings that we go into. Yeah, all in Sioux Falls? Or no, area? a couple outside of Sioux Falls. I go to Marion. I used to go down to Lenox, but they closed their nursing home here recently, and then I go out to Palisade and Brandon. Yeah, great. And Garrettson. So Nice to have you on the show for the first time. Yes, thank you. But we have a Prairie Doc veteran with us, too, <laughs> Dr. Walker. How many times do you think you've been on, Dr. Walker? Oh, three or four. I, I, you know, they kind of run together after a while. Very good. Well, first time with me, perhaps. Yes. But we go back. We served on the South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians Board. So you are a family doc. We have an internal medicine geriatrician, geriatrician and a family medicine. Do you call yourself a geriatrician? 
No, I still claim myself as a family medicine doctor who works primarily with elderly people. Great. Well, sorry, tell us a little bit about yourself too, please. Sure. So I started off um, doing a more traditional family practice um, in Vermilion and uh, did that for several years and have migrated into working primarily with people that live in nursing homes and assisted living and more work um, around medical director um, roles and responsibilities and uh, policy work. So I still do a little bit of clinical, but I also um, have really focused on more systems issues with, um, with aging services. Well, and with so many places closing and finding hard to find providers and caregivers, that's a big need, I'm sure. Um, what, so how does that work? What do you do with Avell and eCare to explain to our viewers, if you don't mind? Yeah, it's, it's really pretty exciting. Avell is a telemedicine company and it could be described as a virtual healthcare system um, that provides support to local providers um, and helps really um, them stretch their resources. So specifically, I work with senior care and we focus on working with people that are aging and the sites that support people that are aging. So um, nursing homes, rehab, assisted living. Um, we also help support some of our, our partners that deliver home care and hospice. And so that's the, the group of patients that we're really focused on. That's great. Giving services across the state and across the nation, right? Yes. Yeah, great. Well, before we get too much further, we invite you, our audience, to submit your questions and let us know what tips you have for staying active, connected, and healthy as we all get older. Viewers can contact us three ways. Call 1-888-376-6225, send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org, or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. We will work to answer as many of your questions as possible given the time available. Sometimes we receive more questions than we can cover, and we apologize if we do not get to your question. To encourage you to ask early, all questions asked in the first 20 minutes will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Doc gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of this program. Your question will remain anonymous, but please provide contact information when you submit your question. So when we're looking at active aging, healthy aging, um, you know, that could cover a lot of different areas. Yes. So um, one area it would be, you know, staying on top of our health, maintaining our health, monitoring our health. What are some ways you would recommend, what would you recommend to people to help, help with that? I think uh, one of the key pieces to that is having an active and close relationship with your primary care provider. So having a relationship with somebody that can help you and guide you as you think about some of the things that you may end up needing to have evaluated or something that you may be at risk for down in the future. If you know that you have a strong family or heart history, having a family doc that can assess your risk for heart history or heart health and mitigating some of those risk factors is always a key piece to staying on top of that and having that conversation with the primary care provider up front. 
And so saying, you know, I not only want to be involved in what I have currently going on, but I want to know about how to prevent things in the future. And so during these visits that we have, I also want to talk about how to help stave off uh, maybe memory problems or maybe social isolation or maybe physical debility as I get older. And so how do I do those types of things? And your family physician is going to be the important piece to help key into the research that's going on in those areas as well as maybe give you some advice on how to do that effectively. Absolutely. Yeah, having that person you know that you can turn to and build yep. that trust with. Vicki, so you have this, this person you know you can trust. Um, part of this is getting that preventative care in. And it can be so easy to focus on the main concern someone has for a visit and, and their chronic medical conditions. So what advice would you have for patients um, to, to help also make sure they get some of that preventative care in as well? Well, for people that are eligible for Medicare, I think taking advantage of your Medicare wellness exam is a great idea because that's really a focused time that isn't about a, a specific problem per se, but is really meant to give you um, space to kind of step back, look at the big picture and think of and talk about um, what your risks are and what um, what tests you maybe should have or vaccinations you should do um, to really keep you healthy. So that would be my first thing is make sure that you are taking advantage of your Medicare wellness exam. That's excellent. Yeah, it, it's a, a good point that, you know, there's only so much time in a visit. And so sometimes having a, a separate visit for that wellness exam, that wellness check. No, you might be able to talk, cover a couple other things then too, but, but giving your doctor that, that time for preventative care can really be helpful. Can I just add something to yes. that? So sometimes having a rolling evaluation, so sometimes maybe always talking about colonoscopies on, in the first couple months of the year and then always talking about prostate health in the middle part of the year or breast health. Or, and so sometimes just having a rolling evaluation sometimes so you can approach your doctor and say, I, I, I will continue to do my annual wellness visit, but if we don't have time to get to everything, I'd like to, you know, what can we cover next time for a, a, a wellness check? And so having a rolling evaluation is some, uh, some things that you could talk to your provider about and see if maybe they can set up on a schedule where you just talk about the same thing every year. Okay, I want to talk about heart health in the month of the heart month. I can't remember what month that is. I probably should know that, but whatever month that is, you know, November is prostate awareness month. And so talking about prostate for men at that month might be a good way to just kind of remind you so that you don't forget about uh, kind of what's going on uh, in your health. Now, as we get older, the preventative care recommendations can change over time <coughs> or depending on our, how we're doing, different things are recommended. And sometimes in medicine, we <coughs> cause more harm by doing tests or doing screenings. How can our viewers and our patients know what's recommended for them and, and how, how can they know when maybe they don't need to have a colonoscopy or a pap smear anymore? I think that goes back to your primary care provider. I think you need to rely on them to tell you when it's time. I think that also changes a little bit with what your goals and, and, and care is. And so having that conversation with your provider about what your goals are uh, obviously shifts over time. As we age, our goals change. And so maybe when you're younger, having a career and doing a lot of 
uh, being involved in work and doing all that kind of things is more interesting to you. As we get older, obviously we we may not want as much work at work at uh, out a career and those types of things. And so that changes your focus and changes those types of things. And so telling your doctor that hey, you know what, I'm not so interested in living as long as possible. I want to have the best quality of life that I quality can. Of life, yeah. And so I don't necessarily want to go through colonoscopies now. And so. And your doctor can hopefully steer you in the right direction and say, well, you're a little too young for that. Or, no, it, this is an appropriate time to make that transition out of doing some of those screening and testing that we normally would do. We're getting some good questions already. Vicki, uh, this person along these same lines asks, how should we encourage someone who needs to see a geriatrician to seek medical help? Like if they're not in danger, but they might be losing their memory some as they age. How would you encourage them to get connected with, now they say a geriatrician, now that might not be an option sometimes, but. Yeah, it, it is tough. You know, there's not enough Dr. Reese's out there in the world. And so um, I think that, um, that perhaps, you know, one way to approach it would be to encourage them that if there's something they're worried about, there may be something preventable going on that can be identified and some changes that can be made to keep it from becoming a progressive problem. So I think sometimes people are scared to go in because they don't want to hear what might be found. And so they just kind of pretend that there's nothing going on, nothing to see here, and they'll not, um, not make an appointment. So I think that just encouraging them that um, there are oftentimes reversible um, you know, things that can be identified during a doctor's visit that can really improve quality of life and, and improve longevity. And so I, I would really um, not be afraid to go in because of what you'll find, but um, be optimistic that um, there's, there's many things that are very treatable. And I, you know, just the earlier they're identified, the more treatable they are. Absolutely. This is an interesting one. How do you go about changing family doctors? It's embarrassing to tell them I don't want to go to them again. Help. Well, how would you respond to that? Uh, that's a very difficult question, one that I get asked quite a bit. I, I don't find most doctors worry too much about that. I think that the bigger key is talking about maybe why you want to change with the provider and saying, this is what I'm hoping to gain by switching providers, or this is what I need. And, and certainly sometimes that relationship just doesn't connect. I mean, sometimes I connect with patients better than other patients, and sometimes patients are like, we just are not connecting very well. And so it, it is beneficial to switch to a different provider, one that you can communicate with and talk to about some of these more difficult conversations. Having a conversation about stopping colonoscopies or stopping screening and those types of things are, are a little bit difficult and you want to be able to trust the doctor that you're having that with and if you can have that conversation with your local provider and say or your the provider that you want to switch from just say I this is what I think I'm not getting and 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 sometimes that works and sometimes they can fix that and rectify that situation sometimes they say no you're right this is you're going to be better served going to see somebody else and and they may even give you a, a recommendation on who may be able to help you from that perspective of what you're looking for. Yeah, I would say I, I don't, you know, it's wonderful having that physician-patient relationship that's built up through the years. But if it isn't clicking, yeah. we understand that's just not, you're not always going to click with everyone, and it's okay. 
and and uh, and and we want you to be happy and getting the best health care you can get. And sometimes that means finding a different doctor because we just didn't didn't click. Yeah. So. If you're uncomfortable at your doctor's office all the time, you're not going to bring up the issues that are important to you, and so you're going to have a hard time getting the care that you need. And yeah. so switching may be your best option. I, yeah. I do think bringing it up with that provider and saying this is why I'm having a hard time with this is always very yeah. helpful. Yeah. Excellent. Well, if you or someone you know is 65 and older, it wouldn't be a bad idea to start learning about Medicare. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Schauer spoke with a Medicare educator to learn more. Terry Fraker is a Medicare educator at Shine, or Senior Health Information and Insurance Education, which is a free program to discuss Medicare with offices in Sioux Falls, Pier, and Rapid City. What we do is assist people training them on Medicare, the different parts of Medicare, how do I get signed up for Medicare, and then how do I get plugged into the different other insurance companies that are associated with the different parts of Medicare. There could be a lot of misinformation when it comes to Medicare, and the goal of Shine is to tell accurate, unbiased information. They kind of go off of what somebody else told them or what they've heard from this person or that person. So there's a lot of misinformation about Medicare and, and which leads people to make the wrong choices about their, their own health care. Shine is mostly volunteers who help with almost everything from open enrollment to answering questions about Medicare. Last year we had seven desks. So we had six to seven volunteers there every day for the seven weeks meeting one-on-one. -on -one with uh, ben, you know, Medicare beneficiaries to take a look at their plans. Shine guides their clients to the useful tools on the Medicare website. On Medicare.gov is a thing we call the plan finder, which is open to the general public to use. And we try to educate people on going there themselves because on there they can compare Advantage plans, drug plans, and now get even the pricing on the supplemental plans as well. The plan finder helps narrow down pricing between health insurances and drug plans, but Shine can't help with which one to choose. They always want me to recommend an insurance company you know, for them, and I say, I can't do that. I can give you the basic information with all of those. Shine is here to whoever wants help to make the most informed answers on Medicare, but it's up to the individual to make the call. You're in the driver's seat of your insurance, and so it's up to you to kind of look around to see where can I find the best deal. And Medicare doesn't care. So you may find uh, on your own you can get a, one of your medications cheaper without going through your insurance company. They don't care, go over there and find it. You know, they're, they're fine with that. Yeah, that's good. They can uh, help out with, uh, with, with picking a Medicare plan and everything. That can be such a hard thing to do and to know what's right. And there's, there is some misinformation out there. And 
I don't know why. Why do you think there's more misinformation out there? I don't know. I don't know if there's any particular reason. I think there's just a lot of, there's a lot of different plans and a lot of different things to do, and so it's hard to pick one. And so I think you have a lot of people trying to steer you one direction or another, and I think that's why there becomes misinformation, is people trying to tell you which way to go and which plan to pick, and that creates misinformation because they try to steer you in a specific direction, yeah. unfortunately. Well, we are going to talk a little bit more about staying healthy as we get older, and one big part of that is maintaining our balance. And so this uh, caller says, 92-year-old caller wants to know, what can I do to improve my balance? Uh, Vicki, do you have any thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that, um, and so I'm glad she's asking because I do think this is so important. Um, so many people um, do fall and or they're afraid of falling and so then they stop being active because they're trying to avoid falling and that has its own um, dangers. So um, I think that if you're you know, noticing that you're having problems with your balance, it'd be a great thing to talk to your doctor about and ask for a referral to physical therapy because a physical therapist can work with you and they've got um, some specific tests that they can do um, to target exactly what is causing your balance problems and then they can really work with you to focus on strengthening those particular things that are causing your balance problems. So it's not the same thing for everybody that causes their balance to be off. So I think that's a, a really good place to start. Um, if you haven't identified already that you are having balance problems, I wouldn't be too um, overconfident about that because oftentimes um, the balance is actually deteriorating, but you don't notice it because you kind of compensate for it without even thinking about it. So. Um, maybe instead of just hopping up out of the chair without thinking about it, you're you know, using the, the arms of your chair to help push yourself out, or you're um, keeping a hand on the railing when you're going up or down the steps. Those are, are good things to do if your balance isn't great, but you, they may keep you from noticing that your balance is deteriorating. So I think um, that it's a good idea to just you know, even um, at a fairly young age to start practicing your balance. Um, and so um, doing simple things like if you are um, doing something a little mindless, like um, perhaps um, checking your Facebook account to just practice standing on one foot while you're, um, while you're checking your Facebook account and then switch to the other foot. And if you find that you're having problems balancing standing on one foot, um, then it, it might be time to start being a little more intentional about doing more um, more um, aggressive kind of practices to build your balance. And there are some really good um, exercise programs that community members might um, offer like um, yoga or Tai Chi um, that can be really good ways to start building um, balance if it hasn't gotten too advanced yet. If it's gotten pretty pretty significant, then I think seeing a physical therapist first is a good idea. And Medicare will cover uh, like Silver Snake Sneakers and, and some other programs. So just look, asking, asking yep. your doctor, asking them about that can be helpful. Joe, are there some uh, other recommendations you have for people to help maintain their balance? Yeah, I usually think of three ways that exercise is done. So there's endurance exercise, which is kind of like walking, swimming, riding a bike. 
There's strength training exercise, which is, you know, not necessarily weightlifting, but doing band therapy, maybe doing a little bit of light lifting, milk cartons, two pound weights, something like that. And then balance training that Vicki talked about. And so I think that when you look at the studies from a balance perspective, you can't just focus on one of the three areas. You really need to focus on at least two of those areas in trying to maintain your balance. So balance, focusing on balance, doing some of those things, practice standing on one foot. Sometimes I tell people to get a foam pad, stand on that for a little bit and try that if they're having really uh, a little bit of difficulty. But then also incorporating some endurance type exercises, walking, riding a bike, getting in a pool if you have access to a pool, doing some of those types of things if you have joint problems. Sometimes uh, being in the pool or riding a bike really help with those joint problems as opposed to walking itself. So doing something endurance and then doing something strength training. I think uh, I usually tell people to try to do a balance of all three. Technically, the studies only show that you only need two out of the three, but I typically tell people to try to do at least something in one of those three areas all day long and try to get to about 30 minutes if you can. Now start slow and build up over time. So that's kind of my thoughts about that. Certainly vision can play into balance. So if you're having vision problems, it's good to go get a vision check. The first cataract surgery has been shown to reduce falls in the elderly. The second cataract surgery, not so much, but sometimes if you're having vision problems, go get that checked out and that may help a balance problem. You'd be surprised at how much vision plays into your balance. So Absolutely. <laughs> Vicki, why is it that we have more problems with balance as we get older? You know, I think there's a lot of things that contribute to it. So um, as, as Dr. Reese just mentioned, the vision can be one thing. Um, also, we rely on uh, cues from our nerves and our, our feet and, and our inner ears um, to give us clues about where we're at in the in the universe and sometimes those nerves get damaged as we get older, especially if you have had a serious infection or maybe have diabetes. Um, and so you know, the, losing those, those um, clues from your nerves about your, your, um, where your body is in relationship to everything else in the environment can be, be really difficult. The other thing I would say is just you know, some loss of strength. And so as your um, muscle strength um, is, is lost, that can make you more vulnerable to the balance problems as well. So that's um, kind of a smattering. Um, there's also issues that sometimes happen with blood pressure um, dropping, mm -hmm. especially when you change positions. And, um, and that particularly can be related to either um, neurologic um, problems that you're experiencing or heart issues that you're experiencing. So I would just say as you get older, you know, you kind of have time to accumulate more health issues. And so those can have a side effect of causing uh, these balance problems. And just another example of why it being proactive and, and being active and exercising and working on your balance proactively can help keep those things from declining and keep your health and keep your health up you know eating healthy and and exercising um, and can keep all those things better you know and along those same lines um, mentation you know are, are staying sharp uh, or trying to prevent dementia um, what are some ways we can we can keep our minds sharp as we get older Joe 
I think the biggest thing is trying to learn something new every day. So I usually tell people it's not too late to pick up a new hobby or a new skill or a new something. And so try to do something new every day. Some of my patients I tell, you know, you don't have to try to learn to play the piano or something like that. You don't have to be that advanced. Sometimes just looking at the newspaper, learning those things, and then having a conversation with somebody else about it. You can't just read it and say that, oh, I learned that. It has to be a little bit of a two-way conversation with somebody, and it has to be somebody that knows what you're talking about. So uh, fortunately, we just had, uh, not, not fortunately, unfortunately, we had Queen Elizabeth die here, and so having a conversation about that with your loved one will help kind of solidify some of that knowledge and learning that happened and kind of what happens in that process. And so that would be something sufficient enough to be a learning for today and to continue that process down the road. The other thing that has been very helpful in memory is exercise. So daily exercise helps with mobility. Daily exercise also helps with meditation. So if you can maintain a daily exercise regimen, then you can maintain some of that mentation. Focusing also on mental health sometimes can deteriorate mentation as well. So if you have a lot of anxiety or a lot of depression, that may be contributing to some of your mental fatigue and some of your difficulties from a memory perspective. And so finding ways to treat that, finding ways to help with those types of things, that may not just be medication. Uh, I, I read an interesting article several years ago that said exercising outside in a kind of more outside or outdoor environment, not in the city, but out into the w woods or nature, helps with mentation and mood. And so if you can do some of those types of things on a day-to-day -day basis, I think that'll help maintain mentation over the long term. Yeah, in some ways the brain is like a muscle and you have to exercise it and use it or lose it. I'm reminded of one study where nuns uh, that were advanced in years had higher, you know, lower rates of dementia, it were sharper because they were reading the news and finding things to pray about and praying about them and talking about them, like you said, and, and they did sharper, stayed sharper. Uh, Vicki, any other things you'd add to help, help stay sharp? Yes, um, I would say being thoughtful about what you are um, putting into your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and so whether that is um, alcohol or medications, and, um, and so particularly some of the over-the-counter medications that are pretty commonly taken can actually have a negative impact on your mentation. So um, especially medications that might be taken for um, helping you sleep at night can have uh, a hangover impact that can, um, can hasten the, the likelihood of you developing dementia. So I'd be really cautious about, um, about really understanding the potential side effects even of non-prescription medications or supplements. Yeah, it's, it, it's amazing the way you feel can really depend on what you're eating, and uh, and and that is so so true. As individuals age, it is common to see a decrease in physical activity. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Shower spoke with author Becky Blue about her recent book that explores how to stay active as you age throughout your life. Becky Blue is a retired nurse and author of Turning: The Magic and Mystery of More Days. Becky's biggest takeaway from aging is physical activity and balance. If you really want to um, win at aging and keep your cardiovascular system healthy, 
more than anything, I think, keep your balance and your mobility in good shape, then uh, staying after it is critical. As people age, the one thing that keeps them independent is their balance and preventing falls. Working on those issues can help aging folks stay independent longer. Thinking about your core, you know, what kind of exercises, is it even yoga or stretching? Walking helps this too, to just build up your core muscles, your back and your front of your body so that you can have better balance. And if you do happen to start tripping on something, you can recover or maybe you won't trip to even begin with. The worst thing to do for your health is only sitting. And what we kind of say uh, is that sitting is the new smoking. So whatever you can do to not sit is going to make you healthier. And so they say, if you're at a desk job for eight hours a day, you really should move around at least 40 times a day and get up and walk at least every half hour. Becky says the best ways to start being more active when you age are to find friends to keep you accountable, track your progress, and write down how you feel after physical activity and sleeping. And I can almost guarantee that people will sleep better the night they have exercised. And for so many of us, sleep is a real issue or getting a good, good night's sleep. And so really tracking, how do I feel after I've exercised or how did I sleep that night? The benefits of physical activity can even stretch to a healthier mind and spirit. As a geriatric nurse, faith community nurse, I look at people through body, mind, and spirit. And I would say that physical movement impacts each of those three areas. Although aging is viewed as a sign of taking things slower, Becky preaches the opposite of living life to the fullest and to not fall into that cultural trap. So a lot of it is about choices. And one of the things I like to say is that the worst choice you can make is not making a choice. So by choosing to stay active and to um, move and be in community, be around other people, those are the kind of choices that will really uh, help you have a better quality of life as those decades roll on. Yes, thank you, Becky. Absolutely, so important to keep those muscles up and keep those core muscles up. It takes takes effort. Um, moving on to another way that we can stay healthy and active as we get older is maintaining social connections. Vicki, what are some of the importance of maintaining our social connections as we get older? You know, I think that um, studies show that actually people that are um, over, you know, as they get older, they actually are happier than people mm -hmm. in middle age. And a lot mm -hmm. of that um, seems to be linked to the prioritization that they put on their relationships. And so I think that um, really making a point of prioritizing relationships with people. And so it, um, whatever form that takes, um, but if it crosses your mind to send somebody a card, do it. Um, or send them an email or just call them up on the phone or meet for lunch or play cards. Um, you know, join, you know, the, the volunteer group. Um, but really um, prioritizing um, having those connections with others 
is um, is beneficial um, for your your own self for your happiness, um, but it also does um, help keep your mind sharp and it keeps you more active when you are um, out and about and doing all these things. So I you know I think that it really the um, that social connectedness really can't be overemphasized and. The other thing I think goes along with that is not falling into the trap of spending excessive amount of time watching TV or on the computer. So what you do on the computer probably matters. If you're spending your time on the computer um, in a, you know, a video chat with your grandkids, then that's probably a pretty good way to spend your time on the computer. But if you're spending your time on the computer just um, scrolling through shopping sites, um, that actually is probably going to have a really negative impact on your mental health over time. Yeah, I think those are some great points. Joe, you know, the, the, the when Vicki brought up how most uh, people as they get older, actually their happiness goes up. It seems counterintuitive sometimes, but we do sometimes learn more about what we like and what we don't like and who we like and what we want to spend our time on. And that's, that's awesome. Um, but then again, you do hear about suicide in the elderly. And we are going to do a show on mental health and suicide coming up. But to touch on that, do you see, there's one question here, is suicide a higher or lower risk in the elderly? I don't think it's any higher risk in the elderly. I think the success rate in the elderly is actually the thing that's increased. So I think you hear about it a little bit more because the people that do actually successfully commit suicide are is, is a little higher in the elderly population. If you look at the statistics, actually depression probably is maybe about the same or maybe a little bit less in the older population. I think as you think a little bit about social, uh, socialization and socializing, I think you can look back at what the COVID pandemic did to socialization yeah. and what the pandemic did to elderly mental health and just health in general. Yeah. There was a dramatic decline in the health of older individuals during the COVID pandemic. And I think it was because of the taking away of that socialization point. When you're thinking about socialization, often the world of older individuals shrinks. They lose their car, they lose their ability to function, they're not walking as well, so they have a hard time getting out to their you know, daily coffee with their friends at the gas station or at the, you know, the local cafe. And so they can't do that. And so you need to maintain some of those social relationships. And so finding ways to maintain that, maybe it is via uh, computer technology. Maybe it is just having somebody come to the home or maybe those of us that are still functioning a little bit better may need to think about how we can involve them a little bit more. Maybe instead of meeting at the cafe for, or for coffee, maybe we say, okay, on Tuesdays we're going to meet at so-and-so's house and we're going to come and have, have that with them. And so I think you can look at what happened during the COVID-19 pandemic as an example of kind of what happened. I think depression increased amongst the elderly. It increased amongst everybody. And so socialization is extremely important to us as we age, as we are a social creature. And so we need that social interaction. And certainly depression and suicide plays into that. And so the more you can socialize, the more you can get them involved, the better off they will be. You know, and, and thankfully with COVID, we did get better at staying connected through Zoom or anything else like this. So people can see their loved ones far away and talk with them on a regular, even daily basis. Um, but uh, I, I, it, uh, 
wanted to bring up your point too about the isolation with COVID and you know, you work in nursing homes mm -hmm. and so many had to go on lockdown or wouldn't let families in for months at a time. And you know, that was very frustrating for a lot of families and it wasn't good for a lot of patients and a lot of the, the residents. And still that happens. Mm -hmm in nursing homes particularly, because I think there's some rules about that where they have to, they don't even have a choice. That's correct. Why hasn't that changed? I think because when you're living in a community setting, right, you're trying to protect the health of all the community. And so when you're looking at COVID, it's a, it's a disease that spreads rapidly and efficiently. And so some people in the community may say, I, I'm okay with a little bit more health but those that aren't okay with a little bit more health also want to have their health protected. And so in order to protect the health of everybody and to be as equal as possible, uh, they have uh, made the rules in place so that then you, you uh, protect the most vulnerable and the ones yeah. that don't have, uh, I mean, if you bring in COVID and somebody brings in COVID and you get it and die from it, then you're not gonna be very happy that that happened, especially if you're one that wants to be more cautious. And so I think that that is why the rules are still in place right now, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully, as COVID, as we uh, start rolling out the vaccines and as more people get the bivalent vaccine and as more people get vaccinated and as we have more immunity, then we'll start allowing some more relaxation to some of these rules in the nursing homes and we'll be able to go in and, and do yeah. some of that. And we yeah. found some creative ways in the nursing homes to do some of those things. There were booths and yeah. I saw so the hugging things. That, and, yep. and so yep. it allowed some of that kind of yeah. creativity. And so yeah. hopefully we'll see a little bit more creativity from that standpoint and, and keep those nursing homes a little bit more open and a little bit more uh, socialization. And I, I do think that physical contact is important. Yes. So yes. I don't think you can just rely on technology. Right. I do right. think physical contact remains an important piece of that socialization. Now we'll do our lightning round and uh, cover uh, several of our viewer questions. That's a little bit of an ask anything, but it all has to do with, as we get older, some of the things we, we run into. Um, Vicki, this person asked, what pain pill do you recommend for terrific arthritis? Terrible arthritis, perhaps. They well, that is um, a little bit difficult to answer without knowing more about um, the type of arthritis and the other issues that the person has. So I would, I, I don't think that there's like one home run kind of answer to that um, because it's always a you're balancing um, what what other diseases that you might have to be mindful of. So for example, some of the um, effective medications for pain um, rely on your kidneys to process them. And if you have um, some damage to your kidneys from maybe high blood pressure or diabetes, then taking those medications for pain for your arthritis might actually really damage your kidneys pretty severely. So it's it's really important to um, you know to talk with your doctor about that and understand for you what the best option is going to be. Um, and honestly, um, sometimes the best answer may actually go back to some of that physical activity and the strengthening of um, specific muscle groups around that joint has actually been found to be one of the most effective ways of controlling pain from severe arthritis. 
So, you know, so even though it seems a little um, counterintuitive to think that for arthritis, the prescription might be exercise, oftentimes that actually is really effective and might be the safest option for a lot of people. Excellent, yeah. This person asked about sleep apnea and, and how that affects your body and affects your heart specifically, they, uh, they said, Joe. So sleep apnea is uh, definitely a strain on the heart. When you're thinking about not getting the uh, oxygen to the, the right locations, you're not getting en enough in as you sleep overnight. It can cause mentation problems. It can cause uh, a little bit of difficulty with uh, shortness of breath during the daytime. And so uh, treating sleep apnea is a huge piece for some of those things. Sometimes people develop a little bit of incontinence as they age, and treating sleep apnea is actually a good way sometimes to help prevent that from happening as well. So sleep apnea can interfere with heart. It can interfere with mentation. It can interfere with breathing. It can interfere with a lot of different things, and so treating sleep apnea appropriately is very important. And with sleep apnea, the airway is getting blocked as we're sleeping, and so that causes snoring and apnea is where. <laughs> Sorry about the mic there, if that was loud. But anyway, the it can it can uh, uh, affect your um, your ability to to breathe and get oxygen and rejuvenate and help your mind. And so, absolutely, a way to keep your mentation up as you get older is to get treated for sleep apnea or tested for sleep apnea or ask your doctor if you're snoring. Uh, this Going back to earlier what we were talking about, Joe, this per patient says, how do you approach a physician when you feel like you aren't receiving the correct treatment or when you feel like your doctor isn't listening to your suggested treatment? Vicki, quickly, how would you respond to that too? Well, like Joe said earlier, you know, I think that, that approaching it directly um, with the doctor is, is probably the, the best, but if you feel that the doctor is, is really defensive and doesn't want to talk with you about it, then it, you know, it might be that you just, you just aren't seeing the right person. On the other hand, you know, I think that it's also, um, you know, good to be a little introspective about what is it that you are um, having disagreements about too, and um, what is your, you know, your um, reason for disagreeing with the doctor, and um, have you explained to them why it's so important to you to, to um, maybe take a different treatment approach, yeah. and so you know, taking a step back and. Um, thinking about how you can express yourself and say, um, perhaps, you know, this is what's most important to me. And I understand and respect that um, you may be recommending this because of, um, you know, a medical study. But what I'm telling you is that it's really important to me that we also, you know, balance out um, the side effects or um, you know, balance out, um, you know, the, the cost of this medicine. And so I, I think that if you can um, think about explaining to them why and sharing with them, you know, why it's important to you, and if that doesn't get you on the same page, um, then I, you know, I think it's it's reasonable to reconsider if you um, if you're seeing the right person. Yeah, absolutely, Vicki. You know, and that's the beauty of geriatrics is the, the goals don't have to be do exactly what cookbook medicine calls for, but to, to have that shared decision-making and to sit down with the patient, what are your goals? What treatments fit with the quality of life that you want? Is yeah. that what you found in, 
in five seconds. Is that what you found? <laughs> that is exactly what I found. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for joining me tonight here on the show. The winner of our prize tonight is Kristen from Chester. Thank you, Kristen, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be back after this. Based on science built on trust, grab a copy of your local newspaper to read the Prairie Doc Perspective, a weekly health and medical column. Over 130 newspapers in the region carry the article. Ask your local paper if they print Prairie Doc today. Head to prairiedoc.org to access all archive columns. After a visit about aches, pains, and various medical issues, a patient was commenting on getting older. Similar to other patients, I expected him to say something like, it's no fun getting older. To my surprise, the patient said, I'm 85. That means I have a lot to be thankful for. Some people are almost always positive and some are usually negative. Those that are positive have been found to have better outcomes and seem to enjoy themselves more, while unfortunately, those that tend to be more negative do not do as well. Granted, factors such as poor health and misfortune can diminish anyone's attitude. Thankfully, with a little effort, anyone can change their mindset. It really is amazing how much gratitude and a positive demeanor can improve your health. There are many small ways to brighten your outlook. To start with, begin and end your day listing what you are grateful for. Stop comparing yourself to others. This is one of the reasons social media has been shown to make people unhappy. If one is constantly looking at how others are doing, dressing, and where they are traveling, one cannot resist comparing themselves and thinking they are missing out. Exercise helps you feel better. Getting fresh air, some sun, getting that heart pumping creates endorphins in your brain that can help improve your mental health in addition to the benefits to your physical health. Look to build lasting relationships. Studies have shown that people who have satisfying relationships with friends and family are happier, have fewer health problems, and live longer. Start building those relationships now. It takes time to gain trust, to listen, and show you care. As we get older, our world tends to get smaller. The places we go may decrease, the people we see may become fewer, and our daily activities may become more limited. However, that does not need to lead to less happiness. In fact, quite the contrary. There is a poem that starts with, when I am an old woman, I shall wear purple. It draws on the wisdom of being yourself. When the pressure to perform and impress has passed, it can be liberating to know more about yourself, what you like and what you do not like. Then you will be free to just enjoy your day and maybe wear purple with a red hat if you feel so inclined. A big thank you to our guests, Dr. Walker and Dr. Reese, for volunteering their time to help us learn Terry more Fraker about is a Medicare active aging. If you would like to see and hear more episodes, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube, or visit us at prairiedoc.org.
Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and online, and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, thanks for joining us for another episode of Health Information Based on Science, Built on Trust. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. occasionally experience digestive upset. So how are you supposed to know the difference between when your GI symptoms are a temporary inconvenience and when they are indicative of a digestive disorder? Understanding, diagnosing, and treating GI issues. Next time on Call with the Prairie Doc. Having access to trusted public health information is essential for thriving communities across South Dakota. As Americans, we all value the ability to make appropriate decisions about our health care. To do so, we need access to quality information from reliable sources. The Prairie Docs and their guests have been providing such information based on science and built on trust for the past 20 seasons. Hello, I'm Stephanie Herseth-Sandlin, and I serve on the Volunteer Board of Directors for the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. As we move into our 21st season of Prairie Dog programming, board members, doctors, and volunteers continue to follow our mission to enhance health and diminish suffering by communicating useful information based on honest science and provided in a respectful and compassionate manner. Your donation to support Prairie Dog programming makes an extraordinary difference in fulfilling this important mission. Your generosity helps strengthen the Healing Words Foundation and expand the reach of trusted healthcare providers to share important health information that empowers individuals and families to make the decisions that are right for them. Donations from individuals comprise 50% of the funds generated by the Foundation to support Prairie Dog programming, and gifts of any size serve to enhance its impact. Please consider a personal or corporate gift today just go to prairiedoc.org to donate. Should you prefer not to donate online, please reach out to us by email and Foundation staff will follow up with you about a pledge. Many thanks for supporting the mission of the Healing Words Foundation and Prairie Doc Programming in South Dakota and throughout our region. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Dock has been provided by. Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Dock on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Dock as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, 
Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftell Communications.